Hey, this is Dave DeCamp from AntiWar.com. This is Anti-War News for Wednesday, November 22nd, 2023. All right, the first story at the top of AntiWar.com today, the Israeli cabinet approves a hostage deal with Hamas. So the Israeli cabinet voted early Wednesday morning to approve a Qatar-brokered hostage deal with Hamas that will free at least 50 Israelis in exchange for a four-day ceasefire and other steps. So according to Axios, the first phase of the deal will involve Hamas releasing about 50 Israeli women and children, while Israel is expected to release about 150 Palestinian women and children that it has detained. And these releases will take place during the four-day pause. Israel will also allow 300 aid trucks per day to enter Gaza from Egypt during the pause and for some fuel to be delivered. In a potential second phase of the deal, Hamas could release dozens of more hostages in exchange for an extension of the ceasefire by several days. An Israeli official said that over the next 24 hours, the names of the Palestinian prisoners who will be released will be made public. And they're doing this so Israelis will have the opportunity to appeal their release. And that signals that the Palestinians' freedom, these prisoners that they choose to release, their freedom is not guaranteed. So the deal with Hamas received support from most ministers within the Israeli government, except for three members of the extremist Jewish power party, and that is Itamar Ben-Gavir's party. He's a very controversial minister in the Israeli government. Ahead of the cabinet vote, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu vowed that the war would continue after the short ceasefire. And remember, the U.S., the Biden administration, has not tried to use that term ceasefire because they don't want to give any indication that they they're not dedicated to backing this war that they want Israel to continue. So Netanyahu said, "We are at war and we will continue the war. We will continue until we achieve all of our goals." And quote, Israel and Hamas had been negotiating through Qatar for weeks, but Israel had rejected earlier proposals. And before the Israeli cabinet approved this deal, both sides, Hamas and Israel, signaled that a deal was close. So now we'll see if this actually gets implemented. It's been approved. Uh, you know, let's see how everything is implemented here. If the ceasefire holds or the pause holds and if uh, that many hostages get released. And I remember from earlier reports, they said that 50 there was 50 women and children being held by Hamas. That 50 was the number of women and children that they could just release on their own without having to consult the other groups in Gaza that also have Israeli hostages, which includes Palestinian Islamic Jihad and another group um, that has just a few hostages. PIJ is, is said to have a few dozen hostages. Hamas has most of them. Um, so I think during the pause, they're also expected to to locate and, you know, confirm where the other hostages are. All right. So the next one here, Israel bombed aid groups after the U.S. shared their location. 
So Politico reported on Tuesday that the U.S. has been sharing with Israel the location of humanitarian groups in Gaza in an attempt to prevent strikes on the sites, but Israel has been bombing them anyway. And this information has included GPS coordinates of a number of medical facilities and the movement of aid groups inside Gaza. Among the sites that the U.S. shared with Israel was the Al-Shifa Hospital, which Israeli forces raided last week causing the medical facility to cease functioning and the deaths of dozens, at least dozens of patients, including eight premature babies. So the U.S. has tried to deflect blame for Israel's attack on Al-Shifa and other hospitals. The White House has said that it doesn't want to see hospitals as battlegrounds, but the U.S. continues to provide unconditional military aid for Israel's operations, despite the massive civilian casualty rate. The Politico report said that it's unclear if the U.S. has provided Israel with a no-strike list or if it's just offering guidance. And considering that the White House has said there are no red lines, it's not setting any red lines for Israel's assault, it's unlikely that that the U.S. is making any demands of Israel and saying that certain sites are off-limits. They're just telling them where these groups are and hoping that they don't attack them, but then they go ahead and bomb them. Anyway... And aid workers have said that Israel has abandoned practices it has used before to prevent attacks on aid groups, such as deconfliction, such as a deconfliction line. One aid official told Politico, quote, there is really no justification for the lack of a functioning deconfliction channel with aid groups. The IDF is familiar with deconfliction practices and has put a channel in place in previous conflicts, end quote. So some aid groups turned to the U.S. last month to help protect their workers. But after the U.S. engaged with Israel on the location of aid groups of their offices, houses, and medical facilities, the attacks continued. Israel's frequent targeting of aid groups is demonstrated by the fact that over 100 aid workers with the U.N.'s Relief and Work a works agency have been killed in Gaza since October 7th. Over 100 of their aid workers. That's a huge number. And, you know, this really goes to show that they are, uh, Israel doesn't care that they're killing these people. Um, and, you know, of course, this is the question, are they doing this intentionally? You know, you have the U.S. giving them the coordinates of where they are, and they're bombing them anyway. Uh, All right, so the next one here, ex-Obama advisor says that killing 4,000 Palestinian children was not enough. So now this story I saw on Twitter when I was scrolling on Twitter, and it was a video of a a man harassing a food truck vendor in New York City, uh, presumably a halal food truck. There's a lot of them in New York, and, you know, Arabs are usually running them, and I mean, just saying horrific things to this guy. And, you know, the way that this happened was somebody posted this video on on Twitter and said, hey, let's try to identify this guy. And it turns out he worked in the Obama administration on the National Security Council. And not only that, he was also the deputy director of the State Department's Office on Israel and Palestinian Affairs from 1999 to 2003. So during both the Clinton and George W. Bush administrations. Um, I mean, it's really something. And one of the things that he said was that killing 4,000 Palestinian children was not enough. And this guy's name is Stuart Seldowitz. 
Uh, he was identified online after videos of him harassing the vendor about Islam were posted to X. Sorry, I said Twitter. It's now known as X. So again, even after I saw people saying it was this guy putting his picture up next to the video, I still had a hard time believing it. But he admitted to the Daily Beast that it was him in the videos. Um, so his role on the National Security Council during the Obama administration was as the acting director for the South Asia Directorate. Um, so, you know, a pretty significant position. And in recent years, he was working for Gotham Government Relations, which is a lobbying firm. And after the videos surfaced, the firm said that it cut all relations with Seldowitz. So... A few of the things that he said to this vendor about Islam, he repeatedly called the Prophet Muhammad a rapist. He threatened to report the vendor to the authorities if he was in the United States illegally. At one point, the vendor said he was an American citizen. And he asked, uh, at one point, the vendor says he doesn't speak English, and Seldowitz replied, quote, That's why you're selling food in a food cart, because you're ignorant, but you should learn English. It'll help you when they deport you back to Egypt, and then Muka Barat wants to interview you, end quote. And he used a term there referring to secret police in Egypt. Um, Seldowitz said to the Daily Beast that the video did not show the whole altercation, and he claimed that the vendor expressed support for Hamas. Uh, who knows if that the guy actually did that. I was just in New York recently, and there's, you know, I didn't see, I, I there's a lot of the halal food trucks in Manhattan and all the boroughs. I mean, they're really delicious. I used to go to them all the time, but uh, I noticed some of the halal restaurants. Um, I didn't see it on, on any of the trucks, but I saw Palestinian flags. Um, I saw some signs that said, you know, end aid to Israel, which is a message I can get behind. So maybe he had something like that. Maybe he had a Palestinian flag displayed, and that's what this guy says, show support for Hamas. Um, so at one point in the exchange, the guy accused the vendor of, supporting killing little children and the vendor replied saying you kill children not me and then Seldowitz said quote if we killed 4,000 Palestinian kids you know what it wasn't enough it wasn't enough end quote so really uh, I mean just kind of an unbelievable story but turns out to be true all right the next one here Gaza health officials lost the ability to count the dead so Health officials in Gaza have told the Associated Press that it's become impossible to count the dead due to a breakdown of communications and the presence of Israeli forces on the ground in northern Gaza. The last official update, so this is important, the last official update from the health ministry based in Gaza was released on November 10th, and that put the figure at 11,078. So I've been seeing an over 13,000 number reported by Al Jazeera, but apparently that's not confirmed. Um, Al Jazeera cited Gaza's media office, who said that the death toll is somewhere over 13,300. Um, but again, that's not confirmed. So Gaza's health ministry spokesman, Ashraf Al-Kidra, said, quote, Unfortunately, the Ministry of Health has not yet been able to issue its statistics because there is a breakdown in communication between hospitals and disruption to the internet, end quote. Um, so President Biden previously accused Gaza's health ministry of lying about the death toll, but a State Department official later said that their numbers are likely low estimates, and that was before the communications entirely broke down. So that was before they couldn't update the death toll. 
the U.S. said, a senior State Department official said, it's probably a low estimate that they're putting out. And the U.N. and aid groups that work on the ground in Gaza, you know, have have said that the health ministry has always been considered reliable. And the way that they would release these death tolls, the way that they would count, is based on the number of dead bodies recorded at hospitals and morgues. So a very meticulous process. And after Biden questioned the numbers, the health ministry released the names and ages of all the dead Palestinians that it had counted up to that point. It was around 7,000 at that point. And the death toll was considered low, low, you know, beforehand because it did not take into account bodies stuck under the rubble and also people that were buried right after being killed in the strikes. And these problems have gotten much worse. According to AP, Palestinian medics say that it's far too dangerous now to recover the untold scores of dead bodies in Gaza City, where Israeli bulldozers have blocked streets and tanks fire at anything in their path. Health ministry officials believe that the death toll has risen significantly since November 10th, based on doctors' estimates and people reporting missing family members. Uh, one health ministry official, Medat Abbas, said, quote, People are thrown in the streets. They're under the rubble. Who can count the bodies and release the death toll in a press conference? End quote. So the Palestinian health ministry in the West Bank has also been putting out a higher number, the 13,300 number they, they put out as well. But Gaza officials say that it can't be verified. And the Palestinian health ministry, uh, the, you know, it sounds like they're not happy with the health ministry in the West Bank. Of course, there's different authorities in the West Bank. The West Bank is run by the PA. It's not run. It's militarily occupied by Israel, but it's some areas are administered by the Palestinian Authority. And then in, in Gaza, you know, the the authority is Hamas. Um, so Abbas, and it's not Abbas, the the leader of the Palestinian Authority, saying this. It's Abbas, this official with the health ministry in Gaza. He said, "Quote: If someone is sitting in an air conditioned office, he can say whatever he wants." But if you come to the field here, no one can work between tanks to count how many people are killed, end quote. So they're basically saying that they have no idea at this point what the death toll is. All right. So the next one here, U.S. launches a second round of airstrikes in Iraq. So things are really escalating in Iraq right now. U.S. warplanes hit targets in Iraq early Wednesday morning, marking the second round of U.S. airstrikes in the country in just over 24 hours as the situation in the region continues to escalate. So Pentagon officials said that the airstrikes hit two facilities south of Baghdad used by Kateb Hezbollah, an Iraqi Shia militia that's aligned with Iran. Officials said that it was too early to provide information about the casualties. And this came after a U.S. AC-130 gunship targeted people in Iraq that the Pentagon said was responsible for a ballistic missile attack on the Ain al-Assad airbase west of Baghdad. U.S. officials said the AC-130 strikes killed three militants. So this is, again, two separate rounds of airstrikes, one the AC-130 gunship, and then the airstrikes reported late Tuesday by the Pentagon that they said were launched early Monday. We don't really have any details about those ones. Um, but it seems like this attack on the Ain al-Assad airbase, which houses U.S. troops, was pretty significant. This is the first time, according to the Pentagon, that a ballistic missile was used in one of these attacks on U.S. bases in the region during this most recent flare-up that started last month over the U.S. support for what Israel's doing in Gaza. And since October 17th, 
the Pentagon has counted 66 attacks on U.S. troops in Iraq and Syria. And the the one on the Ain al-Assad airbase wounded at least eight U.S. troops. So again, it seemed pretty significant. And the U.S. has previously launched three rounds of airstrikes in eastern Syria, but the AC-130 strikes marked the first U.S. bombing of Iraq since, again, (laughs) clearly not the first time the U.S. bombed Iraq, but the first time since October 7th. And the U.S. attacks on Iraq risk a huge escalation. There are many elements inside Iraq that are very opposed to the U.S. presence in the country, and it's not just the Iran-aligned factions, so these strikes could spark something. The Washington Post reported over the weekend that the Pentagon was aware launching strikes in Iraq could exacerbate anti-American sentiment in the country. Iraq's parliament voted to expel U.S. troops back in 2020 after the U.S. drone strike that killed Iranian General Qasem Soleimani and Iraqi militia leader Abu Mahdi al-Muhandis. And the escalation that led to the U.S. launching that drone strike started in December 2019 at the very end of December. An attack on a U.S. base in Kirkuk killed an American contractor. The U.S. bombed Kateb Hezbollah in response, killed dozens of them, and they never proved that it was Kateb Hezbollah that killed the contractor, by the way. That's a very important detail. Iraqi intelligence later said it could have been ISIS. But anyway, so they bombed Kateb Hezbollah, killed dozens, and then there was those huge protests at the at the U.S. embassy in Baghdad, and then the U.S. killed Soleimani. So this is, you know, something similar could happen. There could be a big uprising against the U.S. presence if it turns out that these airstrikes killed killed people. Um, and we know that the gunship strikes did kill at least three people, according to U.S. officials. So since 2020, after Iraq's parliament voted to expel U.S. troops, Iraqi prime ministers have been under pressure to expel foreign troops since then, and, and, and in order to placate the anti-U.S. factions in Iraq, the U.S. formally changed its presence in Iraq to a from a combat role to an advisory role, and that was in December 2021, but the U.S. Did not, did not withdraw any troops at the time and still has 2,500 in the country today. So who knows what this could turn into. All right, the next one here, Israeli strikes kill two journalists in southern Lebanon. So more journalists killed. Lebanese officials have said that two journalists were killed by Israeli strikes in southern Lebanon on Tuesday, bringing the total number of journalists killed in the region uh, since October 7th to 53. So the journalists worked for Al Mayadeen, which is a Beirut-based media outlet. Al Mayadeen said that its correspondent, Farah Omar, that was the correspondent that was killed, she was killed alongside a cameraman, uh, Rabi Mari, in the village of Tyre Harfa in southern Lebanon. And another civilian was reported to be killed in the strike, according to the New York Times. The Israeli military claims that it was targeting Hezbollah in southern Lebanon and said that it was aware of reports of journalists being killed in the strike. In a statement, the Israeli military appeared to shift blame on the journalists for being where they were. So listen to this statement from the Israeli military. It says, quote, we are aware of a claim regarding journalists in the area who were killed as a result. This is an area with active hostilities where exchanges of fire occur. Presence in the area is dangerous, end quote. So basically saying, eh, they shouldn't have been there. 
So according to the Committee to Protect Journalists, these strikes bring the total number of journalists killed to 53. That includes 46 Palestinians killed in Gaza, four Israeli journalists killed during the October 7th Hamas attack, and three killed in Lebanon. Um, All right, so the next one here. MSF says that three doctors were killed in a strike on a North Gazan hospital. So MSF is uh, known in English as Doctors Without Borders. Um, They said, it's a medical charity, they said on Tuesday that three of their doctors, including two Doctors Without Borders doctors, were killed in a strike on the Al-Ada Hospital in northern Gaza, saying that it was horrified by the incident. The the statement says, quote, MSF has regularly shared information about Al-Ada as a functioning hospital in the presence of its staff to warring parties. GPS coordinates were also shared with Israeli authorities yesterday, end quote. So think back to that um, story I went over earlier about the U.S. sharing GPS coordinates of where aid workers are and Israel still bombing them. This statement actually doesn't pin the blame on Israel, but I think uh, we, sh- you know, we are right to assume that it was Israeli strikes that killed them. Um, so just another example of... Uh, of the the kind of people, you know, it's tough for me to keep track of everything that's happening in Gaza when it comes to the airstrikes, the ground fighting. It's even hard to keep track of all the attacks on hospitals. I mean, that's how many hospitals are under attack right now is that, you know, I see these stories. I I see a hospital name that I didn't even know this hospital was under attack. And, and here we have another one. Um, all right. So the next story here, getting out of the Gaza area, just to the one story about Ukraine, Germany commits $1.4 billion to the Ukrainian war effort. And this article is from Kyle Anzalone. And it says that Berlin has pledged to send Kiev $1.4 billion in weapons to aid its war against Russia. The announcement of the German arms package comes as the White House is nearing depleting the funds allocated by Congress for Ukraine. So Germany's defense minister rolled out the arms package on Tuesday while he was in Kiev. He was there just after Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin was there, who announced a $100 million arms package. And this security assistance from Germany includes air defense, interceptors, anti-tank mines, and artillery shells. So lots of stuff that is on the way from Germany. And again, this is just showing, you know, it's, we, we're still seeing a lot of this. Germany and and the U.S. and some other countries still pledging all this military gear, even though there's all these signs that they might not be able to keep supporting this war. It's very clear that Ukraine has no chance of winning. I mean, that's been admitted by the Ukrainian commander in chief. All the Western media is starting to, you know, report that fact. And uh, despite that, they're still trying to keep this war going, uh, you know, and it just goes to show that that is the, the name of the game for them. It's not about a Ukrainian victory. It's just about keeping Russia bogged down in this war. Um, so they just want to keep throwing money at it. Uh, but that's it for the news for today. I have a couple things up that we left up from yesterday. Uh, But go check out our viewpoints, please. Uh, One from Edward Hunt. Ukraine war has been a great bargain for the U.S. in the Black Sea. One from James Carden. Tel Aviv's man in Washington. One from William D. Hartung. What Paul Krugman gets wrong about the military-industrial complex. One from Mark Owen Jones. Israel's comically bad disinfo proves they're losing the PR war. 
and one from Lori Calhoun, Moral Equivalence in War, Both Sides Are Wrong. Uh, So please go check all of that out. One thing I wanted to mention, uh, this Thursday is Thanksgiving. I plan on uh, working a little bit. Um, We're going to have a lot of family here, but uh, I'm going to definitely... Check out the news Thursday night and possibly record a show for Friday. I'm, I'm sure that there's going to be enough. Um, you know, it's not like they celebrate Thanksgiving in Israel or Gaza or in Ukraine. So there still should be some news for us to cover. Uh, still might be a slow day. Um, so maybe expect a shorter show on Friday. Uh, but I, I expect to still record one even if it, it isn't too much. Um, but anyway, uh, you could always help the show out by sharing, subscribe to the YouTube channel, tell your friends, share on social media, trying to build up that YouTube channel. I know other people prefer to watch on rumble and odyssey, but YouTube is, is where you have to, you know, build the audience. Um, so yeah, help me out with that. And I will be back tomorrow with some more news. Thanks for listening.